Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, in case you didn't catch it when I was up last, we're doing a series on fake news. I'm actually kind of excited about that. There's an idea that we came across and thought it was awesome. We should uh, take advantage of it. And so big shout out to Cedric for putting together that video for us and helping us to kind of launch into each week with a little bit of enthusiasm and, and so on. Fake news has become quite a topic over the last number of months and couple years largely on account of a certain someone just to the south of us. Um, And um, whether you appreciate him or not, uh, I think he's done us a service by drawing to our attention this whole area of fake news. Justifiably so. It's something that we need to be aware of. And paying attention to. There's a lot of disinformation that is floating around in our world today. And it can easily take root in our hearts and our minds. Stuff that is easily understood to be legitimate. And we can appropriate it. Start to work on it becomes part of our foundation. We take it in as true, and then we start to live our lives accordingly, make decisions based on it, form our worldview, our perspective, on account of things that aren't necessarily true. And this doesn't just start and end in politics. I saw it a lot in politics when I was in the legislature in Edmonton. I, uh, at that time, I was convinced that one of the best things that could happen to us is if we could have a conservative media and a liberal media. That way we would know that there was a different story on everything, that not either side always has the right information or the complete corner on the truth. And that that would help us then recognize that we need to be looking into it ourselves. And like I say, it doesn't just start and stop with politics. It pervades every part of our lives, including today some things that are presented to us as biblical, but really aren't. That when it comes right down to it, when we go to Scripture, we can't find them there. And as with most disinformation, on the face of it, it sounds credible. It sounds reasonable. It even sounds attractive. It's never so grossly far-fetched that we just discount it, dismiss it out of hand. And I can identify it just off the hop as false. It starts off attractive. 
it starts off seeming credible. And in most cases, it's also launched with an underlying agenda. An agenda to accomplish something that is rarely in our best interests, but in the interests of someone, somewhere, somehow. So therefore, we need to be careful about what we're being fed today, specifically about what is biblical, what is true. This morning, we are looking specifically at the idea of name it and claim it, sometimes known as the word of faith movement, or probably most commonly understood as the prosperity gospel. It is fake news. It is disinformation. And as such, we need to be sure that we do not get drawn into it today. So as we dive into this for the next few moments, would you just, again, bow with me one more time, and we'll ask God to come and guide us into truth this morning. Father, today... You know, you see the disinformation, the fake news that pervades our society. Lord, people with agendas, with objectives, that try and accomplish things by leading us astray. So this morning as we come I would ask that by your Spirit that you would guide us into truth, that your Spirit would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to you and what is true. That we wouldn't build the foundation of our lives on lies, but rather that we would build it on you, on truth, and that that would guide us, that that would influence us, that that would give us direction day by day in our lives, in the decisions that we make, in our pursuits, in our objectives, in our dreams. And I ask this now in your son's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Dictionary.com defines prosperity gospel as, and I quote, a version of the gospel where the full blessings of God available to those who approach Him in faith and obedience include wealth, health, and power. Let's stop right there. Make a note in your mind right now. If you run into something that by definition is a version of the gospel, Run for the hills. Run for the hills. If you come across something that claims to be a version of the gospel, run for the hills. It's fake news. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. Writing to the Galatians, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. If only Paul would tell us what he really thinks. This morning, we need to understand that the prosperity gospel is not merely a version of the gospel. It is a false teaching that proclaims that because of Christ's death for us on the cross, we can be free of sickness, poverty, and suffering. The prosperity gospel untruthfully maintains that material and physical blessings are in store for all who believe it, and that it is God's will for all his children to prosper here and now. It's fake news. The proponents of the prosperity gospel would base their argument and their position on a few select pieces of scripture wrongfully interpreted, I would add. Even beyond that, when you take into the whole of Scripture, their position and their argument leaks like a sieve. They take a few pieces of Scripture, they build an argument in ignorance or in defiance of Scripture as a whole. Even of Christ himself, Jesus tells us that in this world, we will have trouble. Jesus himself points us to that. Paul, you'll recall, prayed for the thorn that was plaguing him to be removed. Three times he prayed for that to happen, and it didn't happen. There's been much speculation as to what that thorn was. Some of it, that it was a physical ailment, a physical impairment that he was asking God to remove. And God said, no. And instead taught him that his grace was sufficient. That despite the problem that is plaguing you and persisting for you, my grace is sufficient. Paul's life itself is testimony to the fact that we can't name it and claim it and hope to just get through life unfazed and unhurt without difficulty. Paul was beaten. He was flogged. He was shipwrecked. He was run out of town, disparaged and despised. 
The disciples themselves, who I would submit, had a lot of faith, went through all kinds of trials and tribulations, and most of them ultimately to their deaths for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. James tells us to count it pure joy when we encounter trials of all sorts. Understanding the trials will bring about perseverance and perseverance will result in our character and our faith being built. These portions of scripture are just omitted or overlooked in the prosperity gospel. So as we come to this idea of name it and claim it, the first thing that I would encourage you to do is read your Bibles. Look to Scripture. And you'll see that there's no credibility there. Maybe start with 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. This is Paul talking to Timothy. as He's launching Timothy into his calling of being a pastor, of teaching people to follow Jesus Christ. And Paul says to him, these are the things that you are to teach and insist on. These are the things, Timothy, that you can't compromise on. Don't omit them. Don't ignore them. Pay attention to these things. Insist on them. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Has it ever struck you as funny how we can read through this list and somehow Paul equates that to people that are looking for financial gain within the faith? That's fascinating to me. But godliness, Paul says, he continues on, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment in the challenges, contentment in the trials, Contentment in the tribulation that we face and that we encounter in life. It's great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the truth, from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. This morning, on account of having not quite enough time to go through all of Scripture, though, much to your relief, I'm sure, I want to just look at three ways that the prosperity gospel presents a problem for us today. Three ways, three problems presented by the prosperity gospel. 
Number one, the prosperity gospel diminishes God. The prosperity gospel, name it and claim it, takes a very low view of God. In essence, it reduces him to a form of vending machine where we put in our act of faith, our donation, our certain behavior, and he delivers whatever it is that we're pursuing in our lives. The objective that we have set. The prosperity gospel promotes a theology or a view of God where somehow he is beholden to us. Which is to say that when we act a certain way, he is obligated to respond as we determine. Church family, that is fake news. That is fake news. Listen, listen to Job's assessment of God near the end of the book of Job. You'll recall the story here. Job has gone through a number of challenges, a number of trials, significant trials, far more so than a lot of us will ever experience. And through it all, he's maintained his innocence. But in the process, he's demanded an audience with God. He wants God to show up so that Job can question him about all of this trial and so on that he's been having to endure. And as we get to the end of the book, God does show up. And God has a conversation with Job about who he is to be demanding anything of God. God says, you know, when you can do some of these things, and goes through a list of things. He says, when, when, when you can get to this stage, then maybe we'll talk. And after being through this experience, after having got his wish, if you will, God showing up, Job comes out of it with a far different perspective. Job 42, verses 1 to 6. Then Job replied to God, to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, God asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? That would be Job. Surely, Job says, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, God said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, Job, and you shall answer me. That's how this is going to go down. And Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Anything that would diminish God is fake news that we need to avoid. Listen, listen to what God says himself in Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 11. This is God speaking himself. 
He says to his people, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is to come? I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far-off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Church family, our world tells us that we're as gods. That we're gods ourselves. That we can be gods. And unfortunately, I believe that that has crept into the church. And that it's resulted in us not trying to become God, but thinking that we're on somehow his level. That we can approach him as a buddy. That we can come to him on equal terms. And absolutely, we can come to God. He tells us that. He wants us to come to him. But we never come to him on equal terms. We don't show up as a buddy. He is God, and we are not. And we need to keep that in mind. That's our God. And frankly, that's the God I want. One that is beyond me. Because if I'm even remotely honest with myself, I am nowhere near sufficient. Any gospel, any gospel that diminishes God is no gospel at all. It's fake news. Run for the hills. Number two. Second problem. This isn't exhaustive, by the way. We could go on. I'm just picking three. Second problem with the prosperity gospel is that, that it disregards sin and our need of a Savior. Now, here again, it isn't the proponents of the name it and claim it camp completely deny sin or our need of a savior. But more so, that they brush past it in their haste to get to the goodies. <laughs> that they poo-poo it and cast it aside. Their focus is on what we can get, not on what we need. And it's fake news. It's fake news. This is backwards from God's perspective. God is first interested in dealing with our primary problem of sin. God's number one interest is our spiritual problem, not our economic issues, not our health, not our suffering. And that's not to say that he's not concerned about us. 
but rather that he is so concerned about us that he goes to our first problem, our primary problem, which is sin, which has broken our relationship with him. And that he seeks to address first. Ryan pointed this out last week as he was speaking about Gideon. The children of Israel were being persecuted by the Midianites. And they finally reached that point where they cried out to God after having turned their back on him for so long. They came back to that point where they knew they needed his help and they cried out to God. And as Ryan showed us, God showed up to help them in the form of Gideon. He was going to use Gideon to accomplish his plan. But first, Ryan pointed out to us that God instructed them to get right with him. That they were to get rid of the altar to the false gods that they were worshipping. And instead, that they were to come and make a sacrifice to the one true God himself. Our primary problem is sin. Our primary problem is that we have broken our relationship with God. And that we're enemies of God because of our sin. And that has to be remedied. That has to be addressed. And generally, people don't like to be confronted with that news. I don't know if you're like me. I wonder if maybe you are. You don't like to be told that you have a problem. I don't like to be told that I have a problem. You don't like to be told that you're not sufficient. I don't like to be told that I'm not sufficient. You don't like to be told that there's something that you can't handle on your own. I don't like to be told that there is something that I can't handle on my own. But that's deal with sin. We are in need of a Savior. And we can't do it ourselves. And that's why Jesus Christ came. It's not a trendy message. And as a result of that, the prosperity gospel just sort of skates by it. And moves on to something that's way more palatable, way more sexy. You can have it all. You can name it and claim it. It can be yours. Fake news. It's fake news. And the thing is, is that sin is a problem. Day by day, even at that point where we've come to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that doesn't then just give us this opportunity, this potential to ignore sin and wander around without addressing it. Oh, I know, we think that there's problems with sin. There's those sins that are definitely problems. They're huge. Don't want to go anywhere near them. Can't steal. Can't have adultery. 
can't shoot anyone. But then there's the other ones that we don't think are that serious. The things that we think that God will understand, as long as I'm real with Him. Our little pet sins. And we allow those to continue to flourish in our lives day by day by day by day because they're not that big a deal. God comes along and says they are a big deal. And day by day by day by day, if we don't address them, it will impact our relationship with Him. It will prevent us from fully knowing Him and from fully becoming the people that He's designed us and wants us to be. But we're not going to hear about that in the prosperity gospel. Because that message isn't attractive. But listen again to Paul in Romans 1.16. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is the only gospel that can save today. Don't, don't be sucked into something else that offers you something in place of that because that's our primary problem. That's our first and primary issue. And we can't be ashamed of that. That's the real good news. That's the true good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not that you can name it and claim it today. That has no power to save you. Third problem with the prosperity gospel is that it derails God's plan. The prosperity gospel teaches that it is God's plan for us to have it all now. That we can have health, that we can have wealth, that we can have power. But God says that His plan is to mold us into the image of His Son all to his glory. See Romans 8.29 and Ephesians 1 verse 14. And therein, church family, in becoming more and more the image of Christ, that is our great reward, our greatest reward. But the prosperity gospel hijacks that plan as it focuses us instead on the physical and material ends and purposes of our world now. It panders to our carnal nature in holding up things of this world as more valuable and worthwhile than God. It's fake news. It's fake news. The best gift that we can ever get is a restored relationship with God himself. And that's the gift that God is giving us through His Son, Jesus Christ. When we trade anything for that, we're trading down. We're trading for less. Don't do it. 
As much as they tell you, it's going to be better. It's fake news. C.S. Lewis said this, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink, sex, ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Aren't we? Isn't it true? So often we settle for far less than what God wants for us. He is our ultimate reward. Don't trade it. Don't trade it. This morning, can I ask, where are you at today? I recognize the word FBC. And so this morning, there's not likely too many that are strong proponents of the name it and claim it philosophy here. Because it's not who we're about, not what we're about. But even still, though we wouldn't claim to be adherents of the prosperity gospel, has it infiltrated into your life today? As we stop and look at ourselves this morning, have some of these things crept into our theology, our perspective of God, the pursuit of our faith today? What is your view of God? Is he just a vending machine to us today that we bring nothing but our requests according to our own agendas, our own plans, our own perspectives? Where are you at this morning? Are you disregarding sin in your life? The value of a Savior that was given in payment for that sin? Are you adopting an attitude that these things aren't so bad, that God will understand, that it's no big deal? How are you doing today at working with God to become more and more like his son? What are you doing to avail yourself of him working in your life day by day to mold you into the likeness of Jesus Christ, overcoming those sins? getting past them with his help, putting them behind us so that we would be more and more the image of Jesus. Reading your Bible, spending time with God in prayer, pursuing his plan, asking him to reveal that in your life, being the people that he's calling us to be, taking a risk for him, even 
to our potential detriment. This morning, as we come to the communion table, we stop and we refocus ourselves. We recenter ourselves on Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. His payment for our sin. His work in overcoming death through his resurrection, in defeating sin, and then offering to us restored relationship with God the Father on account of what he's done. So that we can know him. So that we can then become like him. And so that we can then realize the greatest gift of all which is God himself, available to us in our lives today as we place our trust in Jesus Christ.